Kia ora, hello and welcome to One News Inside Parliament, your peek behind the scenes here at Parliament with your One News Gallery team. I am Felix Demaray, the digital political reporter, and with me are the best political reporters that I'm aware of. <laughs> Lillian Hanley, take it away. Who are you? <laughs> Kia ora, Lillian Hanley, political producer. Kia ora guys, it's Mikey Sherman here, One News Deputy Political Editor. And Benedict Collins. And as we know, it is a massive week this week. And do you know why it's a massive week? It's because my team, the Rabbitohs, and Benedict's team, the Warriors, are about to go head to head. When is this game? Uh, It's tomorrow night, 8pm. I shouldn't care. Sorry. And and to be honest, our listeners probably don't care because I feel like the Venn diagram between league supporters and politics is... It's limited. But anyway, so I just want to get that off the top. Go the Bunnies. They're going to win. It's going to be a great it's a big, night. Big no call, chance. Felix. Big generalisation no there. I feel hey, like there's quite a lot of mixing. Of speaking of which, let's just get an interesting little factoid into this podcast <laughs> right away. Christopher Luxon at the National Party Conference at the weekend, wearing his Crusaders jersey. Bit of controversy saying he'd supported the team since a little boy, even though I think they came into being when he was 26. He not only tipped that the Crusaders would win on Saturday night against the Chiefs, he also picked the margin... One to twelve, not so, bad. Wow. Yeah, unfortunately, um, he didn't give us any tips on Powerball, and mm. um, our office Powerball sweepstake we we came up short, guys. So we're back on the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, we, we're we're very glad to be here. So obviously, there was a, a big political uh, explosion last night, Benedict. What happened with Kitty Allen? Yeah, so story broke that um, several chief executives in the public sector um, have basically been aware of concerns about relationships, working relationships in her office. So um, a few weeks ago, we kind of got wind of one of those, uh, and that was that the National Emergency Management Agency Chief Executive, Dave Gorn, had said he was he was aware there were some concerns in the office, but we, um, we spoke to Kitty Allen about this, and she said, hey, look, nothing's ever been raised with me. Um, just absolutely um, blindsided by this public sector boss, Dave Gorn, um, you know, and you'd think if there were concerns, you'd think a public a chief executive would raise that with the minister, but she was adamant nothing had ever been raised with her. Yesterday, the story broke um, that the Department of Conservation um, chief executive had also raised concerns about relationships, working relationships in the office. Sounds like a staff member had actually left early as well from her office. Um, seconded staff member, right? Yeah. That's right. Mm. Had, had um, left early due to, um, yeah things not working particularly well there. And look, this all came out about an hour after Kitty Allen had been uh, had taken to Instagram and had saying that she's been on leave from Parliament because she's been struggling with her mental health, um, stuff going on in her private life, so, got a bit overwhelming, so she'd taken some um, time out from Parliament. Now, what was interesting, I thought, about that was that what well, well, she sort of had said she'd been on leave from Parliament. She actually was at um, Parliament on Sunday re- responding um, to the National Party's uh, law and order announcement and really putting the boot into um, Christopher Luxon and, and the National Party team um, over their law and, law, law and order announcement that we'll talk about a bit later. So, yes, yeah, kind of on leave, but kind of not. Anyway, she's come back to Parliament this morning. Um, she And she did say on her Instagram post she's feeling much better. She, she'd come back. Um, and wow, it was an absolute circus uh, this morning at Select Committee. Great stuff. So it was like the estimates hearing um, relating to the regional economic development um, portfolio. And we had Carolyn, Carolyn Tremaine, who's the um, chief executive of MB in there with Kitty Allen. Um, so Kitty Allen 
came in and you know really fought her corner um, in, a, in a stand up with the press beforehand, saying no concerns have ever been raised with her by these chief executives um, at, at NEMA or, or, or DOC. So she finds it really hard to respond to these allegations. You know, and, and saying, look, she she is robust with um, you know senior public servants. Her job is to get stuff done. And she doesn't mind you know telling them that they need to get stuff done too. So yeah, but. She is quite unclear exactly about what the what these uh, disputes were in her office. And then uh, Simeon Brown from the National Party, he started questioning um, uh, Carolyn Tremaine about a text message that she got on the 10th of March. Uh, and we don't know exactly what this text message says, right? Because Carolyn Tremaine and MB, they're withholding it under the Official Information Act. It's gone to the Ombudsman. The Ombudsman's deciding whether or not she has to release it, but... Their position at the moment is, no, this was um, free and frank discussion between officials and it's none of your business, the New Zealand public. However, we did, um, so Simeon was questioning them about that. It it does appear they did say, hey, this wasn't a complaint, but, but they're not kind of really giving us the full picture around what this text message said. Um, they The, uh, the MB bosses, they said... Um, that uh, Kitty Allen on the on the tenth of March, I think uh, opening like a, a public health facility or something um, near Rotorua um, that day. They were saying, "Hey, she was ecstatic all day," and we're like, "Well, why were you texting about her behaviour?" And they couldn't really answer exactly what had happened there. So it's a, mm. a bit of a mystery, uh, kind of clear as mud at the moment. But Kitty Allen's back, and she is um, more than up for a battle uh, with Simeon Brown. She was, uh, you know, really going at him in the select committee. Well, I was just going to ask, can you explain why it's so important that this text message like get revealed? Well, we don't know whether it's important or not, right? This could be a, a kind of trivial matter. It could be really serious, although Carolyn Tremaine was saying, no, no, it wasn't. I mean, it's impossible for, for us to, to know how serious this is when when they you know, won't release it, whether you know, it could have been any sort of you know comments on oh no, a speech that fell flat that day mm-hmm. or an interaction that didn't go down. You know, it's just speculation. It, it, we, yeah. we just don't know. Puts the minister in a bit of an awkward position. Absolutely, right. And the ambiguity, uh, people's imaginations go wild on what it could yeah, be. Yeah, and you kind of feel like, hey, are you really being fair to the minister by withholding this now that it's a big story? But I guess if your position as a chief executive is that you don't release this under the Official Information Act, it's gone to the ombudsman. I guess you kind of got to wait. For yeah, you got to hold to that, right? It's not like your job you to protect or, or you know, the, or yeah. um, make it easier for the minister. But if it is something trivial, I bet Kitty Allen would just be like, "God, guys, just, yeah. just release it." You know, maybe it was a who knows? Mm. Maybe it was a joke that fell flat. Whatever. Yeah. Well, while we're on this morning too, can I just because this doesn't happen very often that There's Benedict some politics, but or police right now, by the <laughs> way. But uh, it doesn't happen very often that that Benedict or many really people go to select committee and come back being like, oh, it Does just it? had everything <laughs> in the sense of you can often go to a select committee because it's a bit of a suck and see and, you know, see if something happens, see if something interesting comes out, see if news happens, basically. And often if you get sent to a select committee, you're in for an hour of kind of just, OK, let's just listen, listen closely. What's ca- what's happening? What's going on? Oh, but Benedict cam- came back cam- firing. Yeah, camera operators love being select. <laughs> committee for an hour filming um, politicians sitting at their chairs. Notably um, favourite Oh, this is, this is great. At one point, Kitty Allen, like, it's just, she's sitting there next to the two MB bosses. She pushes her chair right back from the table and she's going at Simeon, you're treating this like a blood sport. Oh, I'm not in politics for a blood sport. Um, you know, I'm here to serve the people. And Simeon's trying to get the information out of Carolyn Tremaine about what this text message is about. And you've got the, you know, 
Labour Party members trying to shut da- shut down the question line. Oh, it was fantastic. Oh, what a like eight o'clock on a on a Thursday morning. <laughs> wouldn't you know? Wouldn't want to be wouldn't anywhere else. Yeah, it's quite an interesting um, insight too into how politics works. Like your your referencing of the Labour. MPs trying to shut down that line of questioning. The fact that they do have a majority in the House this year means that they also have a majority on in select committees and that kind of control over select committees and that, you know, they can, I guess, ask Patsy questions if they want to. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair to Labour, I mean, this was an estimates hearing. They were supposed to be looking at, like, how the money was going to be spent <laughs> over the next year. And, um, and to her credit, the Labour MPs were trying to shut down this question line and Kitty Allen said, no, 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 due due to the public interest, let's, you ask us about it. And, you know, he he only got so far, um, he he got a bit of information out of them, but yeah, to to Kitty's um, credit, she was uh, more open to this line of questioning Mm. than um, the the chair and the Labour MPs were. So looking to the bigger picture, what kind of impact is is this going to have on Labour? Like how much does the general public um, care about another minister with questions over her head. Well, I think what's interesting, right, is that yesterday, on oh, the Prime Minister, he's up in China at the moment, meeting with all the, you know, Chinese um, mm. President Xi Jinping and, you know, all the top Chinese officials. Big deal. This cut. whole press conference yesterday, he's answering questions, hey, what's been going on with Kitty Allen? Mm. You know, was your office aware of what's been going on? And this is kind of where I'm confused at the moment. To me, the Prime Minister was sort of saying, hey, yeah, we have been aware of issues and we have been helping um, out with Kitty in Kitty's um, office and then when I spoke to Kitty about that this morning she said no 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 that's not how I see this so what I was interpreting the Prime Minister's comments to be was that you know they support ministers when they have staffing disputes he wasn't talking about me you know calling particularly and so yeah I have to I'm gonna have to go back watch that stand up and really get a clear picture and see if there was a bit more nuance in what the Prime Minister was saying because my initial take on that last night was that he was specifically referring to that office. Mm. But but you're right that yet again on an overseas trip uh, the majority of that stand up was about a minister back home uh, that he at least he wasn't sort of blindsided by it in the, in the same way of uh, Mecca City. Like when he, he landed was, up in the UK, he, right? Yeah, yeah, heading to the, the King's coronation. But he, he knew about this and he was able to reference it. But it did take up the majority of questions about, you know, when he had just met with President Xi and this was supposed to... He'd done really well, which I'll get into soon. But in the sense of that kind of taking precedent yet again... It's just another distraction. And it's surely again. the last thing he wanted to happen is, is uh, another, you know, it's not as big a scandal as Wood or Nash um, yet, um, but another minister in a bit of strife while he's away. It's just the last he thing has, he wanted. He has back to, though, like I found it quite interesting this morning, The the what was implicit in what he was saying is that, yeah, parliament and, and government is a robust place to work and it's not for everybody. He's ultimately, you know, putting the onus, I guess, on, on the staff or in a way that's kind of how I read it, um, rather than perhaps, well, you know, the workplace. It's it's kind of, that's where the issue is and it's not for everybody. Yeah, and, given, we, and given you've got these two chief executives at, at Doc and Nima, both saying, hey, there were cons- concerns about relationships in the office, but it's not really clear exactly what was going on exactly. in those offices from the, from the very limited amount of information they've put out mm. and, and, you know, and, and what exactly led to these disputes. Would it be fair to say, though, because, again, this is something that is referenced as happening as, you know, regularly or fairly often, and is, is that an issue? Like, shouldn't we be concerned, perhaps, that Parliament is a robust place and maybe, you know, like, is that in itself worthy of questions or an investigation? Hmm. How, how so? 
Well, in the sense of like, if we just dismiss it as like, oh, the staffer wasn't up for it. You know, yeah, isn't, well, isn't that a problem in the sense of yeah, like, well, if we continue? I, I, I just don't think we have enough information to draw that conclusion yeah. or any conclusions really about what's gone on here, given the very limited disclosures by these public sector bosses. And I find it extraordinary though, right? If I was a minister and chief executives were talking about, you know, relationships between me and my staff and something had gone wrong, I'd, I'd want them to give me a buzz and say, mm. hey, minister, you know, if I'd done... Is there an yeah, issue here? If, if mm. they had an issue with something I'd done, I'd want to know about mm. that. Mm. And, you know, I find it... Because you, know, you might a bit have disturbing to ask question, these... answer questions about it down the line, you know, you'd want to know about it. Yeah, or, or maybe when you put it like that, Felix, maybe you don't want to know about it. Yeah, true, true. Um, speaking of not being up for it, Mika Whaiteri was not up for being in the Labour Party anymore and she defected to Te Party Māori. And so to, uh, the Labour Party nice needed a new candidate for Ikaroa Rafati. And we know who that candidate is now, don't we, Mikey? Who is it? Kia ora, yes. Um, so Kushla Tangaire Emmanuel is the candidate for the Labour Party. She is a um, well-known figure within Te Ao Māori in that um, electorate, particularly up um, the coast. Um, she is Ngāti Poro. She is the um, former head of the Ngāti Poro, the mighty and famous Ngāti Poro East Coast uh, rugby team. Uh, and she's also the Māori program manager at um, New Zealand Rugby. So some strong credentials there. She can also call it o Māori and that sort of thing. She's also no stranger to the karaoke mic. Uh, she used to host a karaoke show for te, for Fakata Māori. Um, and used to be a reporter for Marae, actually. Um, uh, Marae, um, the uh, current affairs show for TVNZ back in the days. Um, so, yes, quite a well-known uh, candidate, quite a strong candidate to go up against uh, Mika Whaiteri. Interesting that um, no one from Te Pāti Māori decided to um, give comment on the day. I think that's a risky strategy because um, it will be a close electorate. That seat had been held for, you know, decades um, um, by the Labour Party, particularly um, by the late Parikura Horomia. Uh, and so it is traditionally a red seat. Um, and it will be interesting to see whether or not Mika Whaiteri can, can take it with her to Te Pāti Māori or whether um, it is Kushla Tangaire Manuel who comes through. Right. And, uh, I mean, do we, do we think that Labour's got a really good shot getting back into that seat? Yes, yep, we do think they have a good shot at it. Um, and uh, Māori political commentator Shane Tepo said that he thinks um, that Labour will win that seat. That's a big call. Um, he's gotten a lot of calls right in the past, though. So, um, yeah, it'll definitely be a good fight, a good little scrap there what, in Ikaruarafati. What's his logic? What does he think Labour will win? Because it's been a um, red seat for so many years. I mean, Parekura Horomia was one of the most well-known Māori political figures of his time, um, and that seat was his. He shoulder-tapped Mika Whaiteri um, on occasions to uh, be his successor. Um, she said uh, in her exit speech that she would give 10 years. That's what she promised she would do, um, and so she feels as though she has 
fulfilled that obligation to him and is now able to follow her own path. But whether the voters agree with that um, will be another issue because, you know, Māori um, voters and, and the iwi Māori are very proud people and a part of that pride is legacy. So the legacy of the seat being a, a Labour Party seat, being a seat held by someone so well-known and revered as Parikura Horomi, it means that, you know, you can't just kind of dismiss that link to Labour in that electorate so easily. Um, and his legacy is stronger than her legacy. And, and so so even though she can say that she has been a strong candidate in that seat, his legacy outshines that. And so with another strong candidate in Kushla Tangaire Manuel, um, who's also well known, maybe she, that's enough to kind of solidify that, that win for, for Labour. Do you think, Mikey, too, is, is there an element, like you're speaking about that legacy, is there an element of perhaps some of that electorate, would they be feeling hurt or rejected by Mecca's move, a sort of sudden jump like that, and therefore would they go, nah, we're going to stick with Labour because of what you've done? Well, when, when Mecca Whaiteri exited the party and I bumped into someone very well-known and very well-connected um, in Te Ao Māori in that electorate, um, and, and this person said that, um, in particular, Ngāti Parau, were upset about um, her defection. Now, we have to remember that Mika Whaiteri, her whakapapa links in Ngāti Kahungunu, that's sort of the Napier-Hastings-Hawks Bay area, and Ngāti Parau is more that gisborne Tolaga Bay, which was the stomping ground of Parikura Horomia, that Gisborne sort of area. And so with Kushla Tangaere, Manuel being Ngāti Parau, you know, they will all get behind her. And so then if those two powerhouse iwi are sort of behind their own candidates in those mainstays of Gisborne, and, and sort of Napier Hawks Bay, then you have to look at the Wellington um, faction of the of the electorate because it also comes that electorate comes down to um, Wainui Omata and sort of the lower hut wider upper area. So who's going to win that chunk of the vote? That that's what I'd be interested in. Um, and you'd have to say with Labour being such a you know strong brand within Maori voters and within Maori voters who are not necessarily connected in Tuteau Maori is, is the other thing, kind of those disconnected Maori, they're kind of uh, maybe I wouldn't even say urban Maori because a lot of urban Maori are very connected to the old Maori these days. But you know, they, they, they would traditionally be your kind of um, working class Labour Party voter because that's always how you know the parents and, and that sort of thing have, have voted. So that could help Labour win that chunk of the vote. And you, and you were looking into those numbers, eh, this week, Mikey? Did a little bit of actual research on the numbers. It makes up that block around like 23% of the vote. It did last year, I mean, last election. Lillian Hanley looked up all of those numbers <laughs> for me, Fano, and she did so. Well, she counted the voting <laughs> the voting booths in, in the, in the uh, wider upper Wellington area. And so, sorry, what did you say? It was so 20- around 23% that those votes in that sort of wider upper south section made yeah. up. So almost a quarter of the votes. Hmm. There's been some talk too. Is there any like clarity yet on the sort of strategy from the Labour Māori block? You know, like the, you know, in the past they've either gone list only or seat only to try and you know make sure they get everything. Yeah. Is there clarity yet on what they plan to do this year? Um, well, they're, they're they're going separate ways when it comes to that. So you're right. In the past, Labour made a very strategic decision to go seat only. So they took themselves off the list in order to force. Um, a decision uh, by Māori voters in those electorate seats because a lot of the the sort of um, strategy talk in the past has been, hey, 
you can just vote in the Māori Party candidate in your electorate because the Labour Party candidate will actually get in on their list placing because of their party votes. Um, so you can get a two-for-one deal. And so in the past, uh, Labour have said, no, 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 we're not here for that. We're going to go seat only. You either want us or you don't. Now, Nanaya Mahuta and Soraya Peke-Mason, who is replacing Adrian Ludafe in Te Taihauauru, they are going seat only. So if they don't win those seats, they're out. Um, and Rino Tirikatene is deciding, it could be today, whether he will do the same thing. Um, whether that's a sign that they you know, feel um, like it, it could be a real test between them and their counterpart and they, they do want to force that vote, or whether they're just like, oh, no, nah, I can't be bothered, I just want a strong mandate so that when I come back here I can, I can stand on that strong mandate and I don't, you know, I'm not sure. But um, either way, yeah, the Māori electorates are going to be a good little battle. Mm. And with Nanaya, you know, she is so embedded in that electorate that, you know, she, she's you know, on pretty solid ground coming off the list there, right? She's on solid ground, mm. yes. I With mean, Soraya, uh, maybe not so much, a little bit more of a risk? Soraya would be, that, that'll that be a very close um, competition. Mm. Um, that'll be a very close competition because that's up against Debbie Ngariwapaka. Do you think she has a chance? I feel like Debbie's a bit of a shoo-in in that regard. Yeah, it could be. It could be, you know, because Debbie has just grown in popularity. It was a very close result at the last election and um, maybe she's done enough now to seal the deal, especially with Adrian Ludafe. Um, you know, Soraya Peke-Mason is, is, uh, is well-known, but she, I, would not, I would not suggest that she had the same sort of strong whakapapa support, mm. backing, um, lineage, um, to, to as as Adrian did. And the other thing that um, I was going to save it for my sort of um, peak, but let's mention it now. Um, in terms of Hauraki Waikato going up against Nanaya Mahuta, Te Pāti Māori has announced a 20-year-old Hana Maipi Clark um, to to go up against her. Um, quite a, an impressive uh, young woman um, who spoke on the um, forecourt of Parliament at last year's Māori language. Um, petition anniversary. Um, I think it was 150 yeah, years. Yeah, 50, yep, since, 50. The, uh, since the delivery of the petition to make Te Reo Māori an official language, she spoke there. So she's kind of, you know, making her way onto onto the stage. She's also the niece or mokopuna of Hannah Jackson, who led that petition originally 50 years ago. So a very strong get, I would say, from the Māori Party. And like you say, though, like unlikely to get in, mm. given Anaya who's a stronghold there, but a pretty strong, I guess, message from the Māori Party. She'll probably stay on with them and go in the next one. And, I mean, Anaya will have to resign one day yeah, yeah <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I mean, it was funny, it yeah, but it doesn't see it happening anytime soon. But Willie Jackson... Retire. Willie Jackson had the had the good line. He was just like, "Look, mate, not even the Kingitanga could take out Nanaya exactly. Mahuta." <laughs> exactly. When the Kingitanga backed one of the Maori Party candidates, um, and and Rahui Papa, I think it was yeah. from memory, who was you know the king's right hand man, could not take her out. So yeah, I don't think anyone's going to take her out. Safe no. yeah. yeah, Maori safe. Very, very, so. very interesting this election. Oh, oh, let's quickly just mention. 
the um, exit of, of uh, oh, Heather, Heather. Teo Skipworth from Te Pāti Māori. Mm. I just think that, you know, I, I said this in my live the other night, but if, if Te Pāti Māori were smirking away thinking that they'd executed a clean steal of Mika Whaiteri from the Labour Party, you know, they, they didn't. Because in the end, um, Heather Teo Skipworth, who was, you know, dignified at the time, um, decided, actually, guys, nah, man, I'm not running for Tuki Tuki. I, I can't do this. This is, nah, I'm, she's out. She's mm. outie. And I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's a warning, isn't it, to when you're all about sort of um, um, being unapologetically Māori and, and mana motuhake and all of these things, where is manakitanga in that? Uh, that is the question. Where is manakitanga to those who have been loyal to you for so long? Mm. Um, you know, or I'm, I'm all for, you know, no my hoki mai ki te wakainga, you know, welcoming people home, as, as that's what Te Pāti Māori said was, was Mika Whaiteri's move, wasn't it? It was her coming home. That's okay. But that meant that, you know, you had to basically shove um, one of your own out out of the way well, and, and and that hurt that hurt the Fano that hurt her you know yeah. Heather Skipworth and she's gone and and what are the consequences and ramifications of that um, to to mana of the party and of 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 matapono um, values um, but also um, t- to the party membership who would be like oh one of our girls gone just because mm. had to make way. And she was approached by other parties, was she? Greens, and and she said indirectly that mm. she was approached, you know, in discussions around the Greens and around Labour, but at the timing wasn't right. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. Right, so heading north now <laughs> Over to China. Seas. Well, yes, I just thought it, it would be good to mention this given, and I guess I'm just going to pretend to be Jessica March Mackay for a few minutes, I guess, who is our uh, political editor on this trip, this huge business delegation, uh, the first trip in four years to China. Um, it's a, It's been a, a, a trade focus, that's what Hipkins has kept uh, talking about, and there's sort of no major policy announcements that are coming from this. They've had some sort of tweaks here and there, some cool little, you know, policy things, some affirmations, those sorts of things. The one latest one was kind of new flight routes between here and China. So things that would, you know, benefit our um, tourism sector especially. So, yeah, Hipkins has sort of been focused on the, the kind of trip as a way of affirming our relationship um, with China. And he managed to secure meetings with three top Chinese officials that included President Xi and um, his second in command, the Premier. Uh, They were very pleased, you could say, to be prioritised perhaps in terms of, you know, he's only been in office, what is it, six months now, um, but managed to kind of make this big trip happen, especially before an election. Um, The meeting took place yesterday, I believe, our time, and uh, President Xi said that we were a friend and partner, and then Chris Hipkins initially uh, spoke about the relationship as warm and constructive, which was, I guess, it was remarked upon that this was qu- not quite as like strong or friendly as the way that President Xi described us, but he was pushed on that and then he sort of said, you know, it depends on which context we're a friend and a partner. So again, kind of dancing this fine line or the t- or the, the tightrope, as Sam Satch Davis called it in right, his book. Right, so trade, friends, human rights. Exactly. Maybe we have a- some And all security, right? So a, a number of these issues are, are things that, he sort of had to, I guess, acknowledge, but also 
dance around. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that our foreign editor, Tom Salmon, he's the one who's been working quite closely with uh, Jess on this trip, he pointed out that uh, the China Daily article reported uh, President Xi saying that New Zealand is a pacemaker in China's relations with developed countries. And he thought this quite, was quite interesting in the sense of like New Zealand perhaps being a gateway or an example on how other Western countries could engage with China. And uh, we did an interview with Nicholas Ku, who is uh, in the politics department at the University of Otago, and he was a little bit hesitant to kind of go that far. He didn't think it was sort of as strong perhaps as that, and and, and we kind of settled more on calling it as like an aspirational thing, but it certainly very much in the future but but again having this as a possible pathway was quite an interesting um, development but he, he sort of also Nicholas Koo made the point uh, that over President Xi's tenure so far China's relationships with a number of countries in the rest of the world has actually deteriorated um, but he made the point that he thought this was this trip or this, these meetings for President Xi, that was kind of a, I guess, giving a signal to the likes of the US, Australia, that sort of thing, that tri- China is trying to modernise. But again, they're still contesting with the US for this kind of, you know, a role in international politics. So again, superpower thing, it's right? a superpower and it's totally, it's this, this absolute fine line. Um, again, just a few more things that I'd like to mention. A few. I, I was quite excited about this trip. Maybe I was just jealous about this trip because it looks awesome and there's so many people on the trip. Like, Tefano up and we went with them. What a good time. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, though, the meeting... The, the winning Te Matsutini. winning Te Matsutini uh, group, unfortunately, was not... So many people there to take two planes? No, to Monaco. Yes, I was getting there better. Prior to this meeting taking place and being described as a win actually which I'll come back to yes some of the reports that for earlier in the week coming out of um, this and those the, yeah the very initial kind of reports about Chris Lipkin's trip was actually not about meetings with Chinese officials but uh, the fact that they had to take two 757s with them overseas in case the first one broke down so everyone was travelling on this you know one big plane but they, they took another big plane with them just in case which there's a backup yeah, and there was a lot of back and forth about this old. for a few days in the sense of like, yeah, do we need to just buy a new one? Is that a waste of money? Uh, Christopher Luxon actually came out saying that he, on any of these trips, will uh, be flying commercially, which uh, a number of reports also since then have shown that that would be way more expensive um, and trickier in terms of, well, the government responded saying, yes, more expensive and the issues of security around getting you know clearance through airports and things like that when you travel with the defence force as a speed as Chris a contingent. Yes, Chris yeah. likes to make it. Uh, also, um, uh, David Seymour um, said I would fly on the best airline in the world in New Zealand. Right. So those issues around the planes. Um, but I guess, again, on, on the opposition, back to this, this this meeting, which, yeah, again, is being reported as being a win, that, you know, Chris Hickpins did this really good job, basically, of, of walking this tightrope. Um, the leader of the opposition and also David Seymour, act leader, basically, yeah, were giving him high praise, which I just found an interesting kind of point in the sense that... that um, our foreign policy is fairly similar, depend, you know, regardless of which major party is in power, and that they also see 
exactly what Chris Hipkins did as as being a success to the point actually that he Chris Hipkins was asked in the stand up that you know you're being praised by Christopher Luxon and David Seymour what have you done wrong um, but actually and Felix making the point that yes also if those guys were in power they would also not be able to muck up this meeting like it's such an important meeting to get right in terms of our trade relationships and how that impacts on our economy. I was also thinking um, Christopher Luxon and David Seymour I mean most uh, leaders would be conscious of whether they're in power or not having an impact on China and New Zealand's relationship. 100%. It's in the country's interests that that relationship is maintained and what they say may could get back to not as much as what the Prime Minister might say and do but they'll still be mindful of that and yeah. they wouldn't want to undermine that relationship that's, and that's so crucial to us. That's a really good point too in the sense of actually what you say after the, the fact is also important. Like uh, President Trudeau got in trouble a while ago right, mm. for, for repeating some of the comments around what took place within the meeting whereas actually Chris Hipkins he did a very fine job of not repeating anything that uh, the Chinese officials said even to the point he was sort of asked whether the dictator comment came up um, and his way of answering that is he sort of paused and he said I did not raise it <laughs> so <laughs> that tells us that it probably did go- get raised but it wasn't um, and that dictator from comment him. was Joe Biden called uh, Xi Jinping a, a dictator yeah, and and again, I, I suppose mentioning some of the other stories around this was uh, the Australian article which popped up just before this meeting highlighting that Nanaya Mahuta had apparently been harangued uh, in a meeting with her counterpart in China recently. This also kind of got downplayed by our, not only our government, but also the opposition again, even, you know, Jerry Brownlee making the point that, nah, that's probably not how it went down. Like these are these are robust conversations that take place uh, and they're, they're lengthy ones. Actually, on that point too, though, Chris Hipkins had a 40-minute meeting. I'll, I'll make that note. And um, he, he was kind of criticised for the stuff that didn't get talked about, He, he the issues around human rights. This didn't get discussed um, in detail. It was more surface level was the point that he made. So people kind of making the point that actually they, you know, they should have gone in more depth there. Yeah. It would disappoint some people, but I guess it's the, yeah, the Sam Sachdeva um, type right, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm. Katie Pai. Uh, and also Benedict had a fantastic weekend at the Michael, <laughs> Sala, Michael Fowler uh, Centre with the National Party. What happened? I did indeed. It's their uh, annual annual conference. There there. Got hard hats, all sorts of fun. Yeah, that, that was one of the highlights. Um, <laughs> Chris Bishop and Simeon uh, Brown both wearing uh, Bob the Builder yellow um, work hats as they took uh, questions on infrastructure, um, which made for some fun lampooning. Um, yeah, so two-day conference. Um, Saturday was a bit news light, but um, got... Got to have a good chat with lots of um, you know National Party insiders and supporters and some of their candidates who are trying to win back um, you know seats that went red at the last election. Um, Grant McCullum and um, Catherine Wed down in Toki Toki and Grant McCullum's up in Northland. He he uh, got into a spot of trouble this week. He was told to take down a um, one of his Christopher uh, Luxon billboards up there because it was against the um, bylaws up there. Shane Jones had taken him to task on TikTok over that. Um, Shane Jones did point out that he has also had to take down um, billboards up there because they're against the local um, bylaws, as had our old mate uh, Matt King, um, who's democracy democracy NZ, former NZ, national party um, MP. yeah former national party MP up there. 
Um, yeah, so got, got to have a good chat. And then on Sunday was kind of their main announcement. <clears throat> and it was a law and order announcement. And it was, it was kind of fascinating because National had come in and proposed that they would limit the amount of a discount a judge could give um, to an offender to 40%. And then... And then a couple of other announcements as well, like um, giving prisoners on remand access to rehab. But we we got into the press, into the media stand up afterwards. So normally they'll give their big address to their supporters, announce their policy, and then they come and ask uh, answer our questions about it. And we got in there, and and it became very apparent very very quickly that National didn't really have any idea how many people that this forty percent um, restriction on judges discounts would affect. What it would, how many more people would end up in prison for longer? What it would cost? Um, and their line was, "Hey, you know, um, you know, we're going to need to get into government. There's not this, and and bring this in before we can figure out exactly what happens. Um, and there's not really very good Ministry of Justice data. Um, <clears throat> so it, it did seem like, yeah, a pretty odd announcement. Um, yes, finger in the air." Um, kind of policy uh, that the National Party had come up with. <clears throat> and then, then it came to their rehab announcement. <clears throat> and how you think, in principle, rolling out rehab to people in remand, especially some people do spend a long period of time on remand. I think there's about 3,800 prisoners at the moment in remand. So they're waiting for their trials to come up, right? So they haven't been convicted of anything. About 50% of those will spend six weeks or less on remand before they, their trial comes up. Um, or, you know, and either they move into the main prison population, or that you know they're found not guilty, they're innocent, and they um, they're out of remand altogether. So, and we got into this stand up, and I very um, how do I put this? Luckily, learned a fact that Calvin Davis had introduced a. Um, bill last week to Parliament um, that would roll out more rehab to prisoners on remand. So we, we, I got to put that question to them um, and watch Christopher Luxon, um, Mark Mitchell and Paul Goldsmith play past the parcel on who wanted to uh, answer that question. It was good fun, uh, made for very awkward TV. And anyway, they didn't know about this. They're kind of separate policies. What the government would do, they'd bring in like literacy, um, um, sort of pro- programs like that not related to offending, whereas National wants to roll out, hey, you're, you're up on child sex offending charges or whatever, they bring in child sex rehab programs, um, violent offenders, they bring in violence rehab um, programs into people on remand. But as the government kind of pointed out, would you really, if you're pleading not guilty to a crime, you know, let's say you've done accused of carrying out some violent offence, would you really want to enter into a violent offender rehab <laughs> programme before your trial comes up, before yeah. the judge, yeah. when you're saying, hey, I never did it, Your Honour, mm. mm. right? It kind of doesn't make sense. Um, so the, the government's offer is more limited than what National's proposing to do. But anyway, it, it did. I, I did end up having in, it, quite a fun story on the... Um, on the Sunday night, and um, Kitty Allen was, I thought, really good, actually um, mm. coming, and she really put the boot into um, Christopher Luxon in, in, in her um, stand-up at, at, at Parliament. Um, and then my peak for the week was the following morning, Maddie McLean on breakfast was interviewing um, Paul Goldsmith and just asking him, like, straight-up questions about the policy and how come they don't know, you know, how much it's going to cost all this stuff. And, like, in the middle of his one of his answers, Paul Goldsmith goes to Maddie, 
oh, blah, 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 blah. Look, Benedict can have as much fun as he likes, but this is a serious policy, blah, blah, blah. And he kept going. And, and oh, I just, yeah, I, I loved it. It's fantastic. And then Maddie really, uh, you know, pushed back on him. Um, so, yeah, it was... Good, can, good TV you, and you can have as much fun as you like. Yeah, Benedict. thank you, you thank you, Mr. Goldsmith. I might run with that. Yeah, and live, keep, laugh, love, Benedict yeah, Collins. Thank you, Mikey. Pits and peaks. Um, I gave my peak, and uh, maybe the pit uh, is that there has been another. Um, scathing uh, review report um, into the Department of Corrections. Um, the Chief Ombudsman, Peter Boscia, says that this is his most significant report that he has put out during his time in that role. Um, and basically he took the sledgehammer to the senior leadership team. I'm not sure if that's appropriate um, <laughs> description, but, you know, he was scathing of the senior leadership team um, at the department, saying that basically, you know, despite recommendation after recommendation, um, that they just were too slow and, they, you know, they'd say, yes, we've accepted these recommendations, but actually bringing them into force and, and kind of, you know, carrying on past that initial recommendation and, and accepting that, it, it doesn't really happen, he said. He said, for example, he's told them to stop locking up prisoners for 23 hours a day, and it's still happening. Um, and he says that that leads to events such as the Waikiria prison riots back in, in 2020, 2021. Um, and so I interviewed uh, Jeremy Lightfoot, who's the chief executive of, of corrections, and I was like, Mate, is there is there failings within your senior leadership team? And he literally he just could not accept it. He could not take accountability um, for any of it, despite this massive report, the biggest one the ombudsman's done, like specifically calling out the senior leadership team. The chief executive just would not have a bar of taking any kind of ownership of it. He just wanted to move move past that and just talk about, you know, we're working, we're, we're doing good things, change takes time. But I think accountability and ownership um, is important. And so I thought it was very interesting that he struggled to do that. Mm. Incompetent? Who, me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Possibly. Mm -hmm. um, my my opinion there. Uh, peak this week was when Thomas Coughlin used the headline. He's travelling uh, on the China trip as well. The headline read, President Xi meeting shows Chris Hipkins knows where his bread is buttered in reference <laughs> to the fact that the 40-minute meeting was mostly about trade, which I thought was uh, a great a great get by Thomas. Uh, my pit, though, this week was uh, just, I guess, the length of time it's taken to uh, release name suppression for James Wallace. There's been some uh, reference today around the issues of or the fact that for many um, you are able to kind of keep your name suppressed uh, if you have access to wealth and I think there are some questions to be answered about that um, now that, that that has been lifted. Yeah. Good point. My, my pits and peaks this week uh, um, that uh, if the Rabbitohs win, that is my peak. And if they lose, which is impossible, then that's obviously my pit. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One News Inside Parliament. Uh, 
It's been quite a long episode, so if you've been timing your run to this, you're welcome. You've done uh, you've done one of the longest runs while listening to Inside Parliament. Um, congrats. Uh, if you have a burning political question, do send it our way to insideparliament at tvnz.co.nz. Head to onenews.co.nz for more insight. Follow One News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you like this episode, rate and review us, please, and tell a friend. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.